Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Coming up, we'll be previewing the Autumn Internationals. We'll get into the plans to create a global season and we'll be speaking with Doddy Weir about his new autobiography. My name's Doddy, believe it or not. But first, this week in the studio, I'm joined by the Telegraph rugby writer and tactician, Charlie Morgan. Charlie, tactician, that's a heavy onus on you now to provide insight. There you go. I'm sure you'll be up to it. Look, start with the global season plans, the next three English domestic rugby seasons extended, including in-season breaks, players limited to maximum 35 matches per campaign. Tried to align, I think, bits with the Southern Hemisphere, shifted everything back, which means the Premiership season will now finish in June. Test tours will be in July. But the Lions, as a consequence, have been squeezed as well, eight matches in five weeks. From a Lions perspective, they are getting, and in fact they're there now, they will not be able to call them Lions tours in any of the normal centres for a player or a supporter if it goes below this. If there's any more time taken off, any more games taken off. Is it under threat? I I think it is. And I think at the centre of this press conference uh, last week, there was this... There was this inherent tension between the desire for Premiership Rugby to strengthen their project and their stated aim, which was player welfare. Now, that conflict, by outlining the dates that their Premiership final is going to sit for the next three seasons, Premiership Rugby have kind of, they've flown in the face of what the Lions kind of are about, I guess. Whereas if you look at the, if you look kind of across the Pro 14, they'd previously stated that they were all right with moving their moving their season backwards to accommodate that extra week of training that the Lions so kind of, you would hope that they desperately needed for all all of the cohesion that you'd hope they'd hit the ground running with. They do need it. Of course, yeah. And I I think what we can safely say is those tensions between the Lions and the English clubs aren't going to go away. I know Ben Calverley's starting a job as Lions MD, which was in, in November, which is a job that was kind of recommended as part of the strategic review into the 2017 tour. So, he would have met with Warren Gatland and figured out what, how best to, how best Warren Gatland would have thought that tour would have operated. So yeah, the tense times ahead, I think for sure. Well, it gives them board well for English players in several respects. First of all, in selection terms, because there may be a feeling: look, if we can't have these guys there for this week of preparation, then they're not as valuable because they won't be 
as up to speed as everyone else, and that's unavoidable now. Secondly, um, they're coming straight off a big premiership final, the ones that are picked, and there will be several, there always are. And also, if they get injured then, they don't have the week that they would for be assessed and so on, they'll be off. And it will either be a decision, I would think, of are you fit to get on the plane or not, yes or no. And that obviously doesn't help them either. I mean, I mean, last in 2017, there was a story of Jack Noel getting a cab all the way back. Either you got a cab all the way back, you know, you got the coach all the way back from Twickenham to Exeter to celebrate the Premiership final win, and he got a cab paid all the way back to Heathrow so he could depart on the mm. same flight. As well. And it's not unfair, I don't think, to say Jack's a fantastic player, but it's not unfair to say that how much he was squeezed in that in that space of time probably ruined his Lions tour. He came into a game against Blues. He was marking Rico Ioane. And he looked off the pace, and it took him. It took him to re. He, he was a potential, potentially in the mix for a test place, and it stunted him. It really did. And also, as a player, you want to be there. You want to be when everyone's meeting up. It's all new. You've all got the same challenges. Once everyone's had a week together, they're fairly friendly. Now, a lot of these players know each other, so it's less difficult than it was. But still, you know that you're a late arrival. How would you? How would you feel as somebody that somebody that knows being on this tour? How would you feel as somebody? From that perspective, looking on as an eight-game eight tour, clearly there's more more onus on the Test matches standing alone as a series, as yeah. we've seen with, say, England and South Africa this summer. Well, the shorter the preparation, the more the management have to have in mind the starting 15-23, because there's less time for experimentation, there's less time genuinely for you to play yourself into the Test team. One of the things about Lions tours was always that when they were long enough, Provided you had good midweek games, you could force yourself into the test side. Something like Ryan Jones. Yeah, the fewer yeah. you have, the more difficult that is. Mm. And it must be quite uh, maybe disillusioning a little bit to think that actually, all right, I'm going to be given a game, maybe two, but not with the ideal combinations and so on and so on. So the Lions is a bit of an anomaly in this sense because it doesn't fit anywhere in the professional thing. But... It is phenomenally successful, phenomenally well-supported, f- makes a lot of money, not just for the Lions themselves, but for the countries they host. So there will be a big clamour for it not to be shortened anymore, but as I say, not good for English Lions. What might be good for England, though, is a string of appointments uh, announced today, I believe. Will Carling, my old mate Will, England's Grand Slam winning captain, of the 1990s is to make a surprise, surprise to us, to those who played under him anyway, return to the national setup as a leadership mentor. I don't know what that means. Could be anything. To Eddie Jones' squad, they seem to have a lot of captains nowadays. So maybe he could give advice on captaincy and so on. Uh, he'll spend two days a week working with the squad as one of three new appointments to the management team. Eddie Jones also confirmed sprint specialist Jonas Dodu has joined on a permanent part-time that is an oxymoron, can't be. I don't quite understand that. Permanent part-time basis to work with elite performers across a range of sports, including the 2012 Olympic long jump champion, Greg Rutherford. Meanwhile, John Clark, the former witness, Warrington and Great Britain Rugby League player, has been appointed as the squad's strength and conditioning coach. Well, look, I'm not entirely sure, until I get more details, what we'll, we'll be doing. Presumably, Eddie thinks it's valuable, but... He's shown a marked reluctance to have people there, even the ones that they, we think should have been there. So we'll uh, get some more details about, look, a sprint coach, I understand that in a sense, why it's relevant to a national squad. I'm not entirely sure. 
that's that's a, that's a really interesting appointment for me. Jonas Dodu is a guy whose stock's gone up and up and up. He had a prolific sprint stable out of Lee, the Lee Valley Athletic Club. Dina Asher Smith, James Desalu, uh, CJ Uja, Adam Jamili. These is in his work. He's worked on a part-time basis, I think, with certainly with George Ford and with Anthony Watson and Jonathan Jones as well. Yeah. Obviously, they're not there. But yeah, like you say, we're interested to see what effect it has. Well, look, every single player can get quicker with the right coaching. I just wonder how effective it will be, as I say, on a squad-wide basis. Yeah, and and a, and a relatively short space of time. Exactly. And John Clark, strength and conditioning, that's a usual appointment. Um, of more interest, really, is uh, how well they can bed in the defence coach, John Mitchell, especially as he's not full-time in this country, and whether the attack coach is going to be a permanent appointment. Those two, to me, are more pressing matters. John Mitchell's said as well that he's going to take ownership of a kind of mentor role with the back rowers as well, which is really interesting. And I think there was there were photos, there were photos and, and um, video coming out of uh, Portugal where they've been of doing, doing a lot of stuff at the breakdown, defensive breakdown, mm. uh, jackaling, stealing, that sort of thing. And in working across, his main role has got to be finding a blend of the back five and balance, balancing that with the locks as well, because uh, that's where England were totally outmaneuvered and outmuscled against against South Africa and they've got to hit the ground running in that respect. I'm optimistic for how Scott Wisemantle works on a, when, if he's there further uh, at sort of a, a longer time. England have always looked more potent when, I mean, it sounds, sounds obvious to say, but they've always looked more potent when they've had a, an attack, attack coach looking after that. So whether it's Glenn Eller. That's strange, isn't it? Yeah, very strange. My God. <laughs> but Glenn Eller, Glenn Eller in Australia, 2016. Glenn Eller again in Argentina, 2017 with Sam Vesti. And they did some really nice things in attack. They scored 40-odd scored mm. points in Johannesburg. He's clearly fond of the Ford Farrell axis, so that'll be interesting whether that stays, yes. uh, despite all the all the chat we've heard about um, Owen Farrell moving back to 10. But Well, we'll go into selection in a minute, but in the Autumn Internationals, South Africa, Japan, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa outside the window, so there might not be a full complement. However, notable returnees include Diaga, Big Lock, very powerful, and uh, arrested Dwayne Vermeulen which will help their backer on their carrying. Now, you would have said at one point, as little as a year ago, that South Africa were in a little bit of trouble, but they always do this. They always get themselves ready for World Cups. And although England would have been favourites because they're at home with a full squad, they haven't got a full squad. They've got nearly a team missing. They've got three first-choice loose heads missing. And we could go on and on and on. So I would think he will get away with two wins. Yeah. Yeah. People will be pleased with three, but not one. You don't, you, you don't want to be aiming to get away with an autumn this close to the World Cup, I guess. Do well, you? ideally, but, no, you don't. But I'd, I'd, I'd put them slight favourites to the South Africa game. I just think that so much of what has been good about the South African Test team has been based on Faf de Klerk. I think he's if a fantastic. Is it confirmed that de Klerk won't be playing? He's not playing. He's not playing. They brought. They've for this game. They have three. I think they have three scrum halves to choose from, with something like seven caps between them. Because Aplon's come back, hasn't he? Aplon's come back. Yeah. yeah. And um, as as you say, Vermeulen's Vermeulen's a huge a huge player for them. It might, they didn't play Marks in June, so those two guys are huge threats at the breakdown, which, as we know, is an area England of England have struggled. But I'm fascinated to see how they do without Faf de Klerk. Because not only, only was he brilliant in attack, sort of buzzing around the fringes, bringing those forward runners in, into the team. He terrorised Aaron Smith mm. in those two games yeah. against the All Blacks. Yeah. He was fantastic in defence. Don't have Willie LaRue as well. So two big kind of attacking inspirations. For I, I think England out wide, I think in the backs they'll be okay. They can match South Africa. It is up front. 
yeah. that I'm concerned about. Yeah. Front row in particular, because if you get under pressure, there are fewer scrums nowadays, but psychologically damaging for the forwards and the backs looking on doesn't help you establish any positions and territory and momentum if you're constantly being turned around by penalties and touch kicks. And of course, if they're in range, then you're talking about points as well. Mm. And if you add, if you come under real pressure and you're giving five, four, five or six penalties away there, add that to the normal tally. And England's record in discipline ratters isn't great anyway. You're starting to talk about mid-teens and possibly higher, from which now in modern rugby, you're probably not going to win. No. And and it's interesting that, that the, the loose head position has been the one that's been hit hardest because I'd say that... I don't think it's a hint of exaggeration. Well, up until a while ago, it was fine. It was. It was. <laughs> it, you could you could safely say that England were best stocked in that position out of any other Test nation. And now we're down. Joe Mar- Joe Marler sort of Joe Marler obviously out. Mako out. And Genge's now we're down. Out. Yeah, Genge out. We're, we're down to potentially what fifth and fifth and sixth choice. And you've got the yeah. you've got the kind of chemistry of Ben Moon and Alec Hepburn working together over an eighty minutes for Exeter Chiefs together, but it still looks thin. Well, one of the things that uh, has got better with Carl Sinclair's game. He's a scrummager, has got better, but yep. still, he's never been known and he's not a dominant scrummager in no. that sense. The Telegraph's Ben Coles and I disagreed on Dan Cole. Now, Dan Cole's form for Leicester has been better recently. Has, yeah. But um, for England in the past several games, to me, not up to scratch. He, he was very good against the Scarlets the other Friday. He won a, won a breakdown penalty, which hasn't happened too often in the past. I think since he's got far less potent there since he had, he had neck surgery. My one worry about not having Dan Cole there is the, is the is the kind of how late we are in this World Cup cycle now, and it does seem like a big burden to put on two relatively inexperienced. Having said that, we're calling Carl Sinclair a relatively experienced uh, tight end when he's a, he's a Lions tourist and a Test line and that. He's still um, relatively inexperienced, yeah, but it's still a big burden to put on put on Harry Williams yeah. and, and Carl Sinclair saying effectively what it looks like. You never know with Eddie, I guess, but saying you're you're my guys until the World Cup. Okay, time now to speak to uh, an old friend of mine. I think I can call him a friend, just about. Uh, it's the former Scotland and Lions lock, Doddy Weir. Hello, Doddy. Ryan, good evening, and yes, you can. Of course you can, my buddy. I didn't want to take liberties, Doddy. You never know, do you? <laughs> You've changed. You don't normally ask these things. No, but, I don't. Uh, no, of no, course no. you can. Anything goes. Now, look, for several things to talk about. Uh, a new book, stunning title, My Name's Doddy. Who thought of that? Well, it's a, it's a good friend and a colleague, uh, Lee Alexander, because we were trying to find a name for the foundation as well. Yeah. Um, seemingly when I answer the phone uh, or, or something like that, or somebody, what's your name? And I go, my name's Doddy. So with that, you see, you've got MND as well. So oh, it's see. a continuation of it all. There you go. Yeah. Described as an extraordinary life-affirming autobiography, the rugby legend Doddy Weir, packed with anecdotes from his playing career and life, a well-lived, also poignant story of the challenges he now faces following his MND diagnosis. Well, look, let's get the last bit out of the way. How are you? Very well. Still here, still driving, eating, drinking, and speaking, walking, going to the gym. So in a lot of ways, I'm very fortunate for that to be happening just two years into my diagnosis, because as I mentioned before, into a good self, the average life expectancy of someone with MND is between one and three years. Yeah. So so we're, we're halfway there. We're doing very well. We're still ducking and diving because, again, it's, it's a terminal illness. There's, yeah. there's not 
a cure available and nothing sort of changed for the last 20 plus years. So that's where my recent fight's gone or going. So otherwise, still got a smile, still get up in the morning and uh, still duck and diving. Well, I'll, I'll just mention that point because after it first came out and I interviewed you, um, I remember going away thinking if there is a sort of a personality that could meet this challenge, it's you've got the ideal one, optimism and uh, sense of humour, self-deprecation and so on. Has that been affected at all? Well, I don't, th- I don't think it has. There's maybe the odd day things get quite frustrated and, and that's where I think the fight lies, the frustration that there's nothing come to the table for, not myself, but everyone else with MND or maybe other neurological issues, that very little's come forward, although a lot's happened in the last five years, but still there's, there's nothing hitting the table that give, give us guys a chance and, and something to to get stuck into. So so with this fight, it's just been unbelievable, the support we've... Even off you, because you played a big part down in London. I don't know if you recall. It's in the book. Who is it? You, oh. signed, you signed your life away for us, so we appreciate that. <laughs> I don't remember that. No, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. character watching, <laughs> on, of all the people in the world to pick, Mr. Brian Moore came to the, came to the rescue. Well, look, let's have a... Mention of a couple of fundraisers. You've got a dinner with Gregor Townsend and Sean Edwards. Um, when is that? That's this 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 weekend. We've got a big week this week. We've got uh, the rugby on Saturday. Which That's Wales versus it. Scotland, isn't Wales it? Versus, and they're playing for a cup called the Doddy Weir Cup. Mm. And it's quite an exciting thing to happen. And thanks to both unions, Scottish Rugby and Wales Rugby, for letting that happen. I'll tell you why, because normally you get a trophy when you're no longer here. So True. For, for them to do that is absolutely remarkable and we're looking forward to, to the weekend. And as you mentioned, the Friday night prior to that, Gregor, who's been a great supporter, Sean Evans, has a big dinner in Cardiff, which uh, we're all looking forward to that as well. Uh, well, as long as you keep John Jeffrey and Dean Richards away from the trophy, you'll probably be <laughs> all right on that one. Well, JJ, funnily enough, uh, uh, it's a trustee, so he will be seeing the trophy. The trophies been built in such a way that we can all enjoy. One, a giggle, because the handles are huge, so it, it emulates my ears. And the other, we can get a bit of drink in it and, and yeah. celebrate whoever wins. Look, good luck with everything. Look, uh, are the family um, bearing up as well? Yeah, they're all, they're all all pretty cool. The boys and the good lady have been, again, really supportive of where we are. And ironically, some of the family want to wear red at the weekend, which is pretty good, so we've got a good... Uh, basis of support there, but they are, and I tell you why, because we we are we're doing not too bad, and I think in the, in the years to come or months and years to come, it could be quite tricky for them because this disease is an awful disability. It basically takes all your muscles away, and and with that, there was an email that got sent to our foundation the other day that this brother says, "Look, big man, keep up the good work," because my brother and I got diagnosed in September last year. And died in December. He was three months old, three months after diagnosis. He was 38 with two kids, and that's one of many stories you hear about that. And that's why it's such an important factor to try and see if we can generate a bit of awareness and a bit of funds and, and put this towards trying to get a cure for this horrific disease. Doddy, it's, Ch- it's Charlie Morgan here. I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to ask you really briefly. One of the one of the passages from your book that we've serialised in the Telegraph is about. Really unfortunate incident that saw you leave the '97 Lions. So I think it was Marius Bosman stamped on your knee in a in a, in a ruck. This week has also seen 
the potential squeezing of Alliance Tour to eight games in five weeks. And I wondered whether you talk a little bit about those touring games. Because I think I think you mentioned in, in that passage that you didn't necessarily feel protected in, in, in those touring games. Yeah, Charlie, it, it's one I know it's been talked about, but there's also talk that the lines might not happen. Or if that does go ahead, that's just an absolute travesty because with the issue that we had, the kids and I and the wife followed the lines last year in New Zealand, and it was one of the most amazing atmospheres, amazing trip. Mm. Um, I can understand maybe cutting some of the the games down prior to the test matches because all these big tours are, are based on test matches. The, the games leading up to that obviously are importing in a way that to try and get the team together and bonding and get the patterns working out for the coaching staff. But the three games at the end are the, are the major priority and it was just an unbelievable tour and, and holiday and vacation and would certainly love to go on the next one and that's that's a priority to see if we can keep going. But yeah, yeah that, that tour for myself was, was a wonderful time and it is mentioned how what a great time it was and great people that we, we met and still are in touch with. Uh, Donnie, we've got to leave it there, but uh, thank you. Good to speak to you and I'm glad you're doing well. Thank you. Thanks, boys. Cheers, Doddy. Doddy Weir, the former Scotland and Lions Lock. Just a reminder, his new book, My Name's Doddy, he's out now. Extraordinary, it will be, because his life is extraordinary. As in, he's an extraordinary person. If you can get to the Doddy Weir Cup, I don't know if it's sold out. I hope it is. If it isn't, please um, support it. It's Wales versus Scotland on Saturday. Well, very shortly we'll be speaking, I hope, to the former England and Bath fullback, Matt Perry. We can ask him about England's back three, which is one of the three areas which is still not sorted out, along with the centre partnership, along with the back row. Now, the return of Manu Tuolangi, let's touch everything that's wooden round here now to hope that he'll stay fit, gives Jones an option that I know he's always wanted to have. He's always wanted that, I understand that. But that brings into focus whether or not you play him at 13 or you play Farrell at 12 with uh, Ford at 10 or whether you play him at 12, pick Farrell at 10, pick Slade at 13 or someone else at 13. What do you think? I would keep Manny Teglaghi at 13 for a start. I don't think he's, I can't, I can remember one Lions Tour game he played with Brian O'Driscoll at 13 and he was fantastic, but I can't remember too much senior rugby in which he's played it at inside centre. Henry Slade played one game inside centre against Argentina last November and the pervading feeling coming out of it was that he didn't take a, a chance that could have potentially changed the course of his England career and he, he was because he, he's clearly got the attributes to play there he's a, he's a big enough big enough boy he's a good defender and he's got everything else he's a fantastic distributor with brilliant footwork and all that sort of thing he was slightly he was slightly off colour in that game, but he, he wasn't disastrous. And I'd, I'd love to see... And a kicking option as well. Yeah, a kick, left-footed kicking option as well, which is which is really valuable. I'd li- I'd quite like to see a Farrell, Slade, Tuilagi uh, axis with maybe, Liz- with maybe Lizovsky. He's a potential guy that could come in at 12 as well. I really rate him, but there's such a kind of such confusion about his availability given the disciplinary farce that's happened in the, in the, in the Champions Cup. How can he get that wrong? What the hell is going on? The, 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 the discipline... Well, they've, yes. they, they've come... Effectively, they've taken uh, Rui Jackson's uh, testimony by phone and said, "Okay, it wasn't a high tackle," and then said, "Oh well, maybe it, maybe it was actually." After after thinking initially Jesus that uh, that a clear out was a red card and then rescinding that totally, so total miss. I think Eddie Jones had a bit of a pop. It was a penalty, today. wasn't a red card. Yeah, precisely, 
Precisely. Alex, he's got to be part of the rook, actually. Yeah. Not only can you not drive him seven yards beyond, um, but he's actually got to be part of the rook. Um, so just bear that in mind. Anyway, time yeah. now to speak to Matt Perry, the former England and Bath fullback. Hello, Matt. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm okay, mate. Thanks for coming on again. Always talk a lot of sense. Look, the back three. Chris Ashton uh, for England, he has had limited opportunities to show his form this time due to, well, another uh, bout of the idiot virus, really, um, banned from a pre-season game, which I can't believe. But, you know, he's played here. He's played in France with a plum, played at fullback as well. He does things that other wingers necessarily don't do, his support lines. How do you think he fits into Jones's plans, if at all? Well, I think it does fit in. Uh, obviously, conversations have been had when he's in France and he, he's obviously come back. He's hungry. He wants to play for England. You know, he's still scoring tries. He was scoring them in France. Um, he's come back. He's proven, um, you know, the year leading up to the World Cup, you need a support runner like Ashton. If you've got the leadership of forward Farrell creating those little holes, you want runners like Ashton off, off the ball. And, you know, I think it definitely is in the plans. Whether he'll 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 start this weekend, probably not. But yeah, I mean, a, a fantastic footballer, and he looks as though while he's been away, he's leaned down, he's mm. refreshed himself slightly, but he's still got the hunger. And sometimes having a sabbatical, maybe in France, is <laughs> not a bad thing, <laughs> um, because he, you know he's come back and he, you know he has to play. But I tell you what, he's uh, I'm sure he's firing into that England camp at the moment. Uh, Matt, you're a distinguished fullback, and I just wonder, do you think his kicking is good enough? Well, I think the kicking game now, as the game is, it's it's kind of changed a lot. You know, I don't think you've got fullbacks, certainly in my day, when you'd be clearing the lines, you know, you'd be looking to push the ball behind players. So you see the numbers going back to the ball. I think a lot of the fullback game now is very much kind of kick chase. Mm-hmm. He's good in the air. Whether he has the positional sense at the top level to be a kind of dictator, a leader with the back three, is is the one that he, he will probably challenge him the most. Um, you know, Mike Bryan, without doubt, is the best traditional fullback in England. Elliot Daly, um, you know, a different sort of player, um, quite hybrid in that position. Ashton can do it, but it is under those significant pressure moments when you've actually got to be watertight at the back. Um, you know, I'm not too sure about that. Why? Why do you think Daly has not been given really serious? consideration and, and an extended run at fullback. I think Mike Brown's Eddie's man. And, yeah. um, you know, he goes to him. I think he's one of the leaders of the team. He's full out and full on commitment. Um, so around the camp, and I think if you look in, well, if you look in the premiership, and it does translate to, to England, leadership. You know, a lot of these guys now, certain ages are they real thought leaders do they think do they problem solve on the pitch do they have the experience to know what to do at the right time yeah Mike Brown certainly does um whether he's got that out and out pace to have the killer instinct that maybe you need the game has moved on over the past kind of year 18 months there's probably a question there but Mike Brown's always done a solid job um you know I'm a big favorite of Watson just because of his pace and he's he can develop once he gets into that space he can offload the ball out which makes him very different. So, you know, Daly's become his... Every time he plays for me, he always adds value, whatever position he plays. On the wing, he's a good footballer, gets in that space, offloads. 13, you know, he'll have some competition there. 
But I think he, he has that left foot as well at fullback. He can, you know, he's quite a cute footballer. He likes to, you know, keep the ball in play. Um, so he's, he's an option. Matt, it's Charlie Morgan here. One guy we've not mentioned in, in this kind of conversation so far is Johnny May. And he's, and he's one guy I'd probably say that we spoke about Chris Ashton's kind of intuitive support running at the beginning. He's, he's one guy that's come on loads in that area. I just wondered kind of where you see him in the pecking order. I think he's, he's a shoe in, Johnny right. May. I think he's, um, again, week in, week out, he's been injury-free, he's been performing, um, he's scoring tries, and I think he's got the experience now where he just has that extra yard of depth because he trusts his pace. And I think, like Ashton, if you trust your pace, you don't have to be too flat. I think if you don't quite trust where, what line you're on or you're too anxious, as some, you know, some young players do get, you, you, you come too flat and you miss the opportunity. So... I think May, you know, he's a key man for Eddie um, and he'll definitely be there. And if you have two support runners, and it, it, I suppose with Ashton back, it shows that Eddie's looking at, he wants to get those those boys on the ball as much as possible as he can. And they're obviously good communicators. Ashton will want the ball, so he'll be communicating it. And Johnny May just pops up in the right place at the right time. So, yeah, I think he's uh, he's number one, Johnny May. Just go back to Elliot Daly. It seems to me he's the sort of player where people all agree he's a really, really good footballer in many respects. Too good to leave out, but they don't really know where his best position is. No, that's true. But he's caught in a bit of a trap there, isn't it? Um, playing for Wasps in certain different positions. Uh, he has the ability now to say, I want to be seen as a fullback. I want should, to he, should he make a choice and say, look, sorry, but no. Well, my opinion, he probably should, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very clear. I want to be picked a fullback. You pick me on merit. And he, he does that at Wasp as well. And, you know, you, you're very clear and you know that, you know, where you stand and you have role clarity on um, the fact that Elliot's, a, Elliot's a, a fullback. If not, he could get into that position where, especially with Tuolagi sort of firing on all cylinders, would there be space for him in the midfield? Um, so, you know, he could get caught in the middle. Um, so, yeah, definitely come out and say, this is where I want to play. And he's, he's proven now as experience. So back three might be Brown, May and Ashton. But that would put pressure on Daly. wouldn't necessarily start. How, who would you like to see? What do you think Jones will do? Bearing in mind, that might be different. I'd like to see Daly a fullback. Yeah. And May definitely well, I'd like to see him in. We haven't talked much about Jack Knoll as well. Mm-hmm. Again, one of Eddie's key men. He, you know, great, strong ability. So much the game now is on the front foot. You have to keep the ball. He always keeps the ball. So he'll be he'll be in there as well. I'm not. I don't think Ashton will start, but I think you've got. It's about the dynamic on 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 the back three, like it is every function just like it is back row, you know, an interesting selection there. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to see Daly, I'd like to see May, and probably now. Is there a minimum expectation for England? Should there be one? Well, I think that behind the, behind the curve, you just have to look at Ireland and yeah. goes to a, diff, a diff, completely different question. You know, you can pick their team pretty consistently now and the the Irish look after their player they see the big picture they prepare them for the Champions Cup and then playing for Ireland and Smith's created a consistency and a framework to allow players to come in and and come into positions where if one of the senior players is kind of out then 
they fit naturally in. England just have so many players that we kind of never know who's going to be selected. Exactly, yeah. And there's so much injury and, you know, players are now really dropping like flies. So, you know, it's very hard. And, and that's why the back row position is key because if he's always based um, the game, I think, around getting a good set piece and base yeah. from number eight, getting over the gain line. So I think Morgan will play. Because if he went to a Zach Mercer, who I think is a fantastic player, he'd slightly be adapting on his own principles. <sighs> so, you know, we'll probably see Mercer come on, um, but I think he'll go for the the strength, especially, especially against the Springbok, who, you know, just incredible, you know, in that contact there. Final question, Matt. Uh, at the wreck, did you ever do a Freddie Burns? Um, no, I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I never kissed the crowd. Um, I was just... <laughs> I'm more like belly flopped over the line. Fair enough. I was, uh, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was glad to be there, I think. <laughs> exactly. Matt, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Cheers, Brian. The Bledisloe Cup. Um, Australia, there were all sorts of dire warnings about them and so on. I tell you this, when Australia get to the World Cup, they will be pretty much in shape. Yeah. Not, I don't think they'll win it, but they'll be difficult opponents because they know the game well. They are tenacious competitors. And you see again, although they haven't managed to down, you know, New Zealand, they will be tough, and they'll be a tough uh, prospect even at Twickenham. This game, this game on Saturday, just followed such a familiar pattern in that Australia st- stayed with New Zealand, and then there was a contentious yellow card to an Australian hooker Tolulatu, and then New Zealand pulled away, and and the the kind of margin of victory at the end was was really comprehensive. But I genuinely think that this this performance will give them a lot of heart and it will actually it does for me show that they're moving they are moving slowly back towards as you say being right for that World Cup they found they found a lot of chinks in New Zealand's armour in and around the ruck they were playing really nice inside balls and and, and Bernard Foley made a couple picked out forwards in the in the in New Zealand's defensive line and beat them I think I think actually they showed a lot of pointers to Ireland because I think Ireland will be very direct as they have been throughout the throughout the Six Nations and throughout the time under Joe Schmidt. But no, as, as you say, Australia were fantastic at the 2015 World Cup. I, I loved watching them. They, their, their performance against England was brilliant. They absolutely tailored a performance to England and, and just totally derailed them. And I think they'll be just as smart and just as well-conditioned this time around too. The thing that you get in the rugby championship is you get a pace mm. about it that is higher than the Six Nations. I'm not talking about players running quickly. I'm talking about the speed at which ball is cleared, the decision-making, which is close to instinctive. The familiarity helps with that, obviously. And that's what England have to step up to. Mm. Yeah, I, I just wonder whether New Zealand New Zealand have had, had those, those two kind of titanic games against against South Africa. And, and maybe they maybe over those two games and then this last Australian game, they've looked slightly jaded. I wonder what... I'm sure, sure they'll be fine. I'm sure they'll, sure they'll have a fantastic tour over here. But Australia, I was, I was genuinely really, really, really impressed with them at the weekend. Well, I was talking to Sean Fitzpatrick about the All Blacks, and he was saying, "Look, players like um, Brody Retallick could probably play, mm. but they've been told, no, just rest. Well, and between can. now and then, he's not going to play a lot, no. and he's absolutely crucial to their team because he's well, a brilliant player. I think he came off the bench or something like sixty. I mean, but I mean, the, yeah, exactly. But they are." limiting their game time. And this is a constant theme. And you see the agreement that's being made. I understand why the Premiership want to do this, but the fault line that runs right from the inception of professional rugby is always going to hinder England. 
and it's going to get worse mm. because as the benefits of central contracts work elsewhere and it becomes obvious, as it does with Ireland, as it does with many other countries, you can't fit it all in. I understand why, and they bring these agreements in for a certain rest time. This is the point. When you talk about rest time, you're talking about time not doing anything and knowing that you're not doing anything till next season. Not I'm having a week off this week, but I'll probably still be in training or I'll still have my mind on this. It's the refreshing part. Is it much mental as anything else? I, I, think, I think the point you're getting out there is exactly what one of the key questions that have come out of this global season agreement is that if and we've sort of figured out that if a summer tour goes at the back end of a summer, a Lions tour potentially goes into August and the season starts... No matter what you're doing, psychologically, that burden on these players will be huge, and and and, and that is that is just really tough because we talk about the top fourteen being a being a treadmill and the Premiership not too far behind it. How's that? Going? Because I know that they're saying there's minimum game, maximum game time. You've got to have rest periods. You can't play X, Y, Z. But I still make the point: rest at the end of a season, before a new season, even if you're doing things that you've been given a program. The fact is, you know, you're not expected to be there. You know you don't have to pay attention as long as you do your work and so on. Whether you can, you, I, I just don't believe you can get the same amount of quality rest time within that within that agreement. I totally agree with you, and it, and it's how that will bed in over these next three seasons for these players. They're the they're the guinea pigs in a way, and that's yeah. going to have a strain too. Charlie, looking at the other schedules for the home nations, uh, Scotland by common consent, have been improving. Do you think their programme is as hard or harder than they would want? Or is it not too hard? Is it not hard enough? I, th- I think so much depends on this on this first game, actually, because psychologically, as much as anything, they were they were they they looked quite naive against Wales in, in the Six Nations at the start yeah. of that game. And I think Gregor Townsend was really, really stung by that. Uh, Warren Gatland kind of dropped a bit of a grenade in and I think he said that everybody thought Scotland would be favourites and, and Wales were fantastic with that game. They just looked really street smart. They just looked they just looked miles more cohesive than Scotland and preyed on their mistakes and were comfortable comfortable winners in the end. If Scotland can somehow get over the line in Cardiff, then it's all on that South Africa game for me because they were they were brilliant against Argentina in the summer too. So we feel confident going into that game. And I think Sirian McGeekins made his, made a point in the in his telegraph column that Playing against South Africa is going to be really interesting for for Scotland to see if they're kind of they can speed the game up and really yeah. run around a team that will be physically physically far bigger. Yeah. Well, I know that Warren Gatland he really genuinely doesn't take that much store by the Autumn Internationals. He likes to play around a bit. He wants them to win, obviously. He wants them to play fluently and well, but he's not that bothered. And to a certain extent, because his squad is very settled and they're just making changes here and there, one or two additions. Not many more. I think he knows um, what his 23 will be, ideally, in come the World Cup. It includes several uh, open sides, which any one of which will be welcome in England, but we can't have them, which is a bit of a pity. But uh, he's a canny operator, and they should be in their, they're in their development curve where they should be. Yeah. I'd, speaking of open sides, fascinating to see how Ellis Jenkins goes in the, in the wake of Sam Warburton not being around. We know he's not going to be around now for the for the World Cup, so it's a chance for Ellis Jenkins to really stamp his authority and he'll be, he's like like Sam before him, he's he's kind of big enough, robust enough to play at six if he wants to accommodate 
Justin Tippett there as well. He's got... Navidi. Navidi, fantastic player. <laughs> not around for this autumn, unfortunately for him. Not around for this autumn either is Salupi Faletau. So they're going to have to maybe you know, check out backup options at eight with Moriarty, I think. We're talking a lot about psychological points being made, but Wales have to beat Australia, I think. I know yes. we, we say they don't say they don't place yeah. much, stock, much stock in in the autumn. That can be terribly frustrating for fans that go and watch it. But it's 13 games, I think, they're losing streak against against Australia, and they have yeah. them, crucially, in the World Cup pool. Yep. So that's... That, no, that's an important point sort of to win. make. That's an any important point to make. I, I, I believe that their record against some of the most three teams getting over the line is not good. No. Certainly not recently when, uh, on paper at least, several times you would have made them favourites, and that's a psychological thing. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And as you say, they've got a settled squad. They'll be looking at semi-finals at least for this World Cup. Mm. And to, to do that, they'd like an easy passage out of the group. Time now to consider Ireland's autumn schedule. Pleased to say we can speak to Malcolm O'Kelly again, regular contributor to the podcast, former Ireland lock. Hello, Malcolm. Brian, how's it going? Okay, How mate. Are look, you? Yeah, I'm not bad. Uh, look, out to Chicago to play Italy, not taking key players, and then Argentina, New Zealand and USA. That doesn't yeah. look... All that strong. It's just not as strong as it could have been. Is there any purpose yeah. behind this? Well, the schedule is probably a little bit more, a little bit busier. Certainly, there's an extra game there that falls outside mm. uh, the the usual. Mm. So, Ireland, I suppose, have been renowned for you know having um, you, you know having the detail done, and this extra game probably uh, means they have a, a week less to to really prepare. Uh, and focus on the games. It's, it's, there's an, also the fact of an extra game uh, can will probably tell its toll on uh, on some of the players. There's always a depth issue with Irish rugby. So you know, is that to consider? And also the way the games fall. You know, with Argentina coming before New Zealand, uh, you saw you've got Italy, Argentina. Arguably, you have to play your first team against. And then obviously the Met watering encounter against New Zealand. So you're gonna you're gonna ask, you know, a lot of guys to, to back it up week in, week out, which will be will be a challenge to the squad. You know, so you, the schedule, yes, you, you know, like obviously maybe comparable to England's schedule doesn't look that bad. But Argentina are a strong side. Yes. Uh, and there's always been a lot of history uh with Ireland and and Argentina. Well look I was talking with Charlie uh, here about the relative uh, development curves for the World Cup. We agreed Wales are probably on track where they want to be. Ireland definitely on track, unlike England. Do you think, given... Well, you mentioned uh, depth being a problem in the squad. This is the strongest squad Ireland have ever, uh, can ever mm. pick at the moment. Yeah. I can't see one anywhere near uh, this one. To a certain extent, I, I think Joe Schmidt probably knows... Not necessarily exactly starting 15 or 23, but pretty close. So I think in a cer- in certain respects, he will, he'll obviously want to win the games, but he won't be too fussy if the performances are there. But the big one, again, is if you get, it could get the psychological element of beating the All Blacks and all that means, that would yeah. be a, a huge thing. Can they do it? Well, I doubt they can do it. They've done it before. Yeah, like... Um... They'd have to do it this time without Conor Murray, which would be uh, he's a key he's a key player for Ireland uh, yes. in how they and how they uh, get out of get out of their twenty two, how they uh, use him to, uh, with his box kicks uh, to 
to regain uh, regain territory. Um, and also um, his his experience around the place, um, and so the the his understudies, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see which one will get the nod because mm-hmm. arguably that's going to be your number two. Um, and there's three guys, none of which are the complete uh, player. And when you stack them up against Murray, would 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 fall short in 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 some in by some way. But you've got three, three, three keen young guys who, you know, all will have a point to prove. Um, and I suppose the other one is actually probably is is the position of Rory Best. You know, he's he, there's a couple of good guys coming up coming up behind him, and they'll be challenging for his position. But he's he's been he's been uh, selected as captain, so it'll be interesting to see how. Like there'll obviously there'll be a couple of guys, you know, be it be it Italy or be it USA, will get a chance. Um, it'll be interesting to see who he chooses to do that, yeah. and where he's looking at and who he's looking at. Because for the World Cup, um, Rory Best obviously be another uh, year advanced. Not saying he's passed it out. I'm not saying that at all. But if, for example, no. he were to have a dip in form, bearing in mind the faith that Schmidt's shown him and the responsibilities he's given him, is Schmidt the sort of Coach who would say, actually, I'll back him because he's got credit in the yeah. bank, so to speak, or is he ultra ruthless and say, sorry, not in form? Yeah, I think he has. I think Joe shows a lot of loyalty, but I think he, I think they need to, I think they need to stack up now. I, like I say now, Joe Schmidt looks at a game, and you know, uh, no disrespect yourself, Brian or myself, <laughs> we look at a game. He sees something slightly different, yes. and he's looking at he's looking at numbers and and stack them up. And if he's happy with what Rory's doing and what Rory's contributing, maybe the fact that Rory brings something else to it that the other lads don't in terms of leadership, uh, that's okay. Uh, but uh, I think the lads will really need to play good games. Or the other thing, of course, if Rory gets a knock, you know. Uh, and I suppose that's his, 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 his real threat to him is if he does get an injury, then you know, it won't. Take, if he missed a couple of games, that might be enough for Joe Schmidt to say, look, you know, going to stick with, with with some of the younger guys going forward. You know, so they're the challenges for him. But like other than that, you're right. He, uh, I would say, Joe Schmidt uh, has his fifteen already in his head. You know, maybe a couple of back row. There's a couple of back row headaches there. The uh, good headaches, though, aren't they? <laughs> good headaches. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. You've got a lot of Leinster guys uh, putting their hands up at six. You know, yeah. uh, Dan Levy, Sean O'Brien, Reese Rullock. You know, uh, and their and O'Mahony, of course, from Munster is uh, is is holding down the jersey. So there's a lot of challenges there for six. And uh, you know, arguably Sean could play, Sean O'Brien could play seven either. Uh, so you know, there there, uh, and then you've got number eight. You've got back row. You, like like there are there are good headaches. You're right. Yes. They're good headaches, and all good players. And I would hope to see that you know enough of them will be given will be given a bit of a. Yeah. A, a bit of a go to see who can nail it down because you know these these matches as you say they're they're important they're important games uh, but uh, at this stage the ranking is done everything is done yeah. for the World Cup everything is about the World Cup so for Joe if he's any issues or uncertainties he's got to find uh, especially regarding selection he's got to find out who is who is who his men are you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and even the Six Nations as well, you know. Well, Malcolm, we'll leave it there, but thanks very much for coming on okay. yet again. That's Malcolm O'Kelly, former Ireland lock. 
Ireland looking good, set fair. Just have to do it now in a World Cup. Yeah, I'm excited to see how good they've got a terrible, terrible World Cup record. They have. Bearing in mind, in recent times, they've had squads which have been tipped several times as dark horses or whatever you like to call it, woeful underperformances. I don't actually think this side will be like that, actually. I think you can trust them to deliver a minimum performance and that should be a good minimum performance. And I, and I think the age profile is perhaps something that will leave them maybe unencumbered by that previous record. People, mm. like, people like James James Ryan coming through mm. it, it just has been superb. And yeah, like you say, I just, I just hope they're not peaking a, a year too early, but I don't think they are. You yeah. look at the, the number of dimensions that, I mean, we, sp- we spoke about... I think Matt mentioned it earlier in the show, the key word with Ireland's framework. Everybody knows yes. their role, slots in brilliantly yeah. and the cohesion there is, is just fantastic. I'm I'm so I'm excited to see how good how good they can be. And I and I just wonder, you know, just wonder, you know, whether whether Conor Murray does does get back for that all blacks game. That's gonna be fascinating to see whether <laughs> they whether they do it'd be a r it'd be a risk to see whether they rush him back and um but he's 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 been doing. I think he said he's quoted as saying he's been doing ninety percent of training with months. He's been doing modified contact. He expects to play a game or two for the province this this month. If there's any risk, they won't no. play him. And they're not he's very be. important. It's very important. But as you know, we talked about Marcus all night. Winning that game against New Zealand and Dublin would be huge for him. Well, this podcast has been all about the forthcoming autumn internationals. But I just want to give a brief word on the women's game before we end. Uh, the roundup of round seven in the Premier 15s this week saw Loughborough Lightning continue their perfect start to the season. Seven successive victories. Another big victory, this time over Waterloo. Uh, Furwood Waterloo, 51 20. The reigning champions. Saracens bounced back from uh, defeat uh, a week ago. Beat Gloucester Hartbury, 48 24. Turned out to be the only home win of the weekend because. Harlequins made it four straight wins as they saw off Richmond, uh, 40 points to 10. And fifth placed Bristol Bears notched up another big score, half a century this time against the Worcester Valkyries, 50 points to 10. And finally, the Wasps ladies saw off Darlington Moden Park Sharks, 38 points without reply. And a reminder too, the Red Roses, that's England women's team, their action across the Autumn Internationals too. They're facing the USA, Allianz Park, Canada, at Castle Park in Doncaster and Ireland as part of a Twickenham doubleheader uh, with England versus Australia. So I don't know whether that's before or after. Uh, I think it's after, so stay around. Uh, sport is appreciated. I know the women certainly appreciate that. The relative strength Canada would have been a huge fixture. They're not quite as strong as they have been. USA improving Ireland. A uh, bit of a surprise package over the last few years improving as well. So there'll be good quality rugby there. All we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph and Remy Martin. Thank you to my co-host Charlie Morgan and my producer Abby Patterson as always. Please do subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode and write a review whilst you're there too. But for now, it's goodbye. <laughs>